0: Colossians chapter two, verse one, for I want you to know how greatly I'm struggling for you, for those in Laodicea and for all who've not seen me in person. We talked about this a little last week. He'd never met him. He just said, so how's he struggling? He's struggling for them in prayer, but I think he's also putting his effort into this letter so that what God wants to happen in their lives will happen so he's struggling for them what's his what is he struggling for what's the aim of this of these these prayers and this work look at verse 2 i want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all of the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of god's mystery who is that christ in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge so there's three things that we're going to look at from these verses that God wants in your life individually as a Christian, but it's, not just, it's never just our lives as Christians. God wants our lives to be knit together and have these three things as a body of Christ inside of us. So let me give you that today. Number one, God wants his people to be encouraged. God wants his people to be encouraged. Look at verse 1. I want their hearts to be encouraged. Now, can we be honest? I think all of us would admit that there's sometimes we just get in low points. We have high points and we have low points. I think the ultimate example of that was Elijah. In chapter 18, he stands up on top of Mount Carmel. He's faced by 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Ashtaroth. He calls fire down from heaven. The people of Israel start crying out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, that's a mountain dog. Next day, Jezebel says, before the sun sets, you're gonna be as dead as my prophets. And he runs for his life, and within a few miles, he's praying to die, going from the mountaintop to the valley, And, and I think that's all of our experience. And part of the reason is, is you can't walk through this life without going through times of discouragement. Paul, by the time he wrote this, think about this, he is near the end of his life. He's finished his missionary journeys, he's been in prison, for about three years or more. And he's writing this letter, and if you just go through his letters, you can begin to see clues of the times Paul was discouraged and what would cause us as well to be discouraged. So let me talk about reasons why we can need encouragement. Number one, we live in a world that always brings trials to us. We live in a world that always brings trials to us. I I love this particular verse in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 8. He says, we're afflicted in every way. That word afflicted is an interesting word. The Romans, as part of their punishment, they would strap someone to a bed, take big stones, and start piling them on their chest until they could not breathe anymore. And that's the word afflicted, to have pressure brought down on you. Have you ever been in that place where you felt like, I don't know if I can handle any more pressure? He said, but I'm not crushed. He said, we're perplexed. Have you ever been at a point in your life where you thought, I don't know what in the world's going on and I don't know what God's up to. But even when we're perplexed, we're not in despair. We're persecuted but not abandoned. We get struck down but not destroyed. That's the world we live in. Sometimes it's because there's continual things, physical illnesses. I was, I've was i got Casey preaching for me downstairs because Justin is on uh, vacation. And so we were in my office early today. He saw my guitar and he says, do you play off? And I said, about twice a year. And, uh, and so he said, do you have to practice? I said, no, I can just pick it up. But I'll tell you what's happened. I've now got arthritis in my fingers. I could not get my finger to bend because that's part of being an old geezer. <laughs> I, that's not gonna get better. That's only gonna get worse. So we're living in places where we feel like the weights get put on us. Some of you live with tensions in the workplace or tensions in your home. No wonder we need encouragement because the world we live in, but but beyond those continual things, sometimes devastating circumstances can cause us to be discouraged. You can get a, a blow. It takes the wind out of you. Second Corinthians, Corinthians chapter one, verse eight. We don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. By the way, we have no clue what that was. He doesn't tell us what it was. He said, I had a blow there in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we even despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we'd received the sentence of death so we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. My wife and I were having a discussion this week and she mentioned a period of about 30 days or so where we had three blows. And she said, I don't know. She said, I don't know if I... I felt at that moment I couldn't go through that. Three blows in a row, and you wonder how you can go on. Sometimes you're down because you've had those blows. Sometimes you're down because we get discouraged in ourselves, we're disappointed in ourselves. When Paul wrote the book of Romans, friends, he was a few months away from being arrested and put in prison. He was a few months away from losing his freedom and his ability to be a missionary. So it's later on in life. Look at chapter 7, verse 14. Paul says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh, sold as a slave under sin, for I don't understand what I'm doing. I don't practice what I want to, but I do what I hate. I think Paul was saying there, AD 57 or so, he said, I've been at this a long time. I thought I'd be farther along than this. I still have struggles. I still have times when I'm defeated. Friends, I think that's one of the things that happens the longer you walk with God. The more you see your weaknesses. There was a preacher one time, and he was known for calling names in the pulpit. Uh, in, in fact, uh, uh, he would call out the names of saloon owners <laughs> and all that because he, he called out the mayor for tolerating stuff. Well, one day he announced next Sunday, I'm going to name the name of the biggest sinner in our town. Men brought lawyers to church that next Sunday. They were, they were going to get ready to get ready for a libel suit. He got up there and says, I'm ready now to tell you who the worst sinner is in town. And then he said, it's me. I think that's where we are, the longer we walk with God. And then sometimes we're discouraged by other Christians. In 2 Timothy chapter four, verse 16, and this happens, by the way, after Paul writes this letter. At my first defense, no one stood by me, but everyone deserted me. May it not be counted against them but the Lord stood with me. Now, Paul, when he writes this letter, he's appealed to Caesar, Caesar is Nero. It'll be up to the whim of Caesar whenever he gets him out of prison and makes him stand before him. But folks, at that moment, and we know it'll be at least after five years, we can count at least five years of imprisonment before he stands before Caesar. There's only two choices. There's no negotiating a plea deal. There's no, let's take a few years in prison. The two choices he will have, Nero's thumb will either go up and he'll be set free, or he will go down and he'll die immediately. He said, finally, after five years of waiting, after all I've done for Christians, all the people I've written to, all the people I've won to Christ, all the way i stood by people, I showed up in the courtroom and there wasn't a single Christian there. That hurt him. That his brothers and sisters in Christ failed him. So yes, it is a world where we Christians can get discouraged, but remember, God wants you to be encouraged. So let me tell you what I can give you right now. Let me give you four ways that you can be encouraged when you are discouraged. Number one, if you're discouraged at this moment, number one, draw your strength from God. Draw your strength from God. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. I, I've about worn that verse out. I can't tell you how many times I feel overwhelmed. Lord, I've got to go. I've got to answer this call. And this is a tough situation. What am I going to do? What am I going to say? How can I help them? Or even in personal circumstances. Lord, how, what can we do in this situation? He said, my grace is sufficient. My power comes when you are weak. So when you're at that weak point, breathe in God's power. Take in his strength. Number two, read your Bible. If you're discouraged, read your Bible. Look at Romans 15, 4. Whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may have hope through the endurance and the encouragement from the scripture. Of course, we're encouraged by the promises, but 70% of the Bible is story. So when I'm reading about Joseph and I'm reading about David and I'm reading about Paul and I see they went through rough times, they got through it. I can say to myself, I'm going through a rough time, but I'll get through it. They got knocked down, but they got up. I can say, I'm knocked down, but I'll get up. When you read the Bible, it'll give you encouragement. Number three, be around encouraging people. Be around encouraging people. Hebrews 3.13, but encourage one another while it's still called today. Here's a great Mark Twain quote. Mark Twain said, I can live two months on a good compliment. I think that's, there's some truth to that. Now, here's another one. I don't know who said this, but it's a good one. It says, people have a way of becoming what you encourage them to be, not what you nag them to be. People have a way of becoming what you encourage them to be, not what you nag them to be. If you are low, if you are discouraged, there there are people out there that they're just the kind of people that put wind in yourselves. They're encouraging people. Can I share with you where I'm at right now? I'm going through Dave withdrawal. (laughs) Dave got on a plane. He and Sue's got a plane last Monday to go to Japan. They're gonna be gone 10 days. And about the middle of this week, I was sitting, because we're right next to each other. I, I mean, when he, I hear him, hello, brother, how you doing? You know, just, sister, good to see you. I mean, he is always up. I'm next to him, he's never in the dumps and he's always an encourager. And I was sitting here about midway through the week saying, I don't know if I can make it 10 days. (laughs) Don't have my my encourager with me. I said, how's it going? Pastor, everything's going so wonderful. Nobody's told me it's been wonderful all week long. And, and, And so when you are low, find an encouraging person. Number four, when you are low, Keep an eternal perspective. Keep an eternal perspective. Look at verse Romans 8, 18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. Listen, folks, this is temporary now. What you're going through now is temporary. The permanent is coming. And the glory is going to be so much more. Fanny Crosby wrote nine thousand hymns blessed assurance to god be the glory so many good ones when she was a toddler she went to a doctor who put too strong of eye salve in her eyes and she lost her sight had no conscious memory of ever seeing but she became a christian young grew in the lord when she was a young teenager she wrote her first hymn this is this is the words to her first song Oh, what a happy soul. Oh, what a happy soul am I, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world contented I shall be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't." That was her very first one. But I love this one. She wrote in one of her writings. It seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all my life and I thank him for that dispensation. If earthly sight were offered me tomorrow, I would not accept it. I might not have sung hymns to the praise of God if I had been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things about me. And then one of her great sayings, she says, I'm glad I've been blind because the first face I will see is Jesus. Keep an eternal perspective. So what does God want for you? He wants you to be encouraged. Number two, what does God want for you? He wants for all of us here. God wants his people to be joined together in love in their hearts. That's a whole bunch of stuff. To be joined together in love in their hearts. Look at chapter two, verse two again. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love. Now it's in the heart that you are joined together in love. Do you see that? Now, now, what that means to get this straight, it's not enough for me to tolerate you. I, I got to have you in my heart. It's not enough for me to be in church with you. We've got to be knit together in love. Jesus said that the mark of the Christian is our love for one another, John 13, 35. He says, by this everyone will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. You may know this name. He was one of the most brilliant Christians who ever lived and one of the great defenders of the faith in the 20th century, Francis Schaefer. Francis Schaeffer, when he started out his ministerial training, they were having the battle over the Bible in the Northern Presbyterian Church that the Methodist Church is having right now. And he and several of the folks who had strong convictions that the Bible is God's inspired and errant word Pulled out, they had to form their own denomination, they formed their own seminary. But he said, what he watched in this battle against liberalism was that those that joined in that fight became angry and became mean. This was one of the last things he ever wrote this little booklet, The Mark of the Christian. And he said, Folks, we've got to stand for the truth. And that's all he had done for all his life to stand for the truth. But we've got to be reminded that the mark of the Christian is love. I've got to be joined together in love. Well, here's the question on the floor for this point. How do you put somebody in your heart? Since we're to be knit together in heart, how do you put some? Let me give you two things you can do. Number one, if you want to put someone in your heart, put them in your prayers. If you want to put someone in your heart, put them in your prayers. Isn't it amazing how if you're praying for somebody, they become somebody that's attached to your heart? My wife has been one of those. Brian called for volunteers, and I'm sure he'd still use some, to adopt some of our homebound to make uh, regular visits. She's adopted three, and uh, there are two that in the same memory care center. And so what Karen did, she went this week, and she takes our church directory with the pictures. And she goes in there and she'll start pointing out people and show the pictures. It's amazing how the light will come on and they'll, they'll talk about the person. Well, she came to one person and, and this person in memory care said, how are they doing? And Karen said, they're having a rough time right now. And she talked about the illness that they were facing. And this memory care person said, we need to pray for them right now. And bowed her head and started praying for her. Talked to her husband. Her husband said that that's the way she was their whole married life. She lived in an atmosphere of prayer. So if you wanna put someone in your heart, put them in your prayers. Number two, if you wanna put someone in your heart, put put people into your schedule. Put people into your schedule. You can't hide out, you gotta be around folks. And one of the most important things you can do to put Christians in your schedule is be in church in person. Get in a small group, hang in there, love them all. Uh, That's what we've got to do. Now, I know good things have come out of the pandemic. We've got the modern service now, and I praise God for what's happening and reaching young families there. Thank God for that. But one of the things that we had to learn to do is we had to learn to put our entire service online. Now, we put both online now. So you can go and find this service with uh, the orchestra and choir. You can find the modern service online. So we have both online. And we did that because for months that's all we had it was just an online experience and there's many now who are blessed who are homebound I'm grateful that that's what they get but we have a lot of folks that that's what they choose to do for their worship now I contacted somebody recently and said been missing you we're in the living room worshiping every Sunday with you and, and I, I know that can become a habit But folks, I think that's unfortunate because let me say this, if you are only in the living room participating in the service, who did you help? One of the things that that I do is I I try to walk around and if somebody comes and says, have you heard about this person? Could you check on this? I'll write it down. I'll say, what can I do about that? Does that make sense? Because we have an obligation. How can we know who needs encouraging if we're not around people? How can we know who needs a call if we're not around people? So, so you've got to be there. To, to, it's, it's not about you getting what you need. It's also about getting involved in others. But there's one other, another thing that you miss out on. In Matthew 18, 20, look at this. He said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. Now, I know he lives in my heart, and if I worshiped in my living room, he'd be there in my living room. But evidently, there's something special about the presence of Jesus. When two or three gathered in his name, Uh, my soul, the, the online's fine, but you had to be in the room this morning on the music that we've experienced. It was incredible, wasn't it? Um... I think there's a power of the Holy Spirit that's felt when you're together. George Whitfield was the greatest preacher of the 1700s. There was no podcast available in that day and time. So somebody said, look, you're preaching to as many as 20,000 people in the open air. Ben Franklin counted 20,000 people in one crowd. Everybody wants, can't you put your sermons in the newspaper? And he resisted. And finally he gave in and they started printing some of his, his sermons in the newspaper. But he said this, you can put the words on the page, but you can't put the thunder and lightning on the page. And I think that's it. The thunder and lightning happens when you're to gather together in person. But there's one other thing that reason why we need to put people in our schedule and stay committed is it regular involvement in church causes you to be stretched in your ability to love. The church is full of imperfect people. You'll always see flaws. You'll always be disappointed, but we're told to hang in there and love one another. In 2022, they did a study and found that one-fourth of pastors move on average every three years. I, I, I know why, because I'm hanging around pastors. They get in there and somebody's ornery. <laughs> And they get another church, and they go from one church to the other because they don't want to deal with difficult people, folks. I be- there was a great sermon I heard when I was a young man by Manly Beasley called "Heavenly Sandpaper," and he said, "What God does is He puts heavenly sandpaper in your lives. That is people who rub you the wrong way, and usually He puts them in there so you can't get rid of them. You know, kin, in other words, you know." That? <laughs> And so he said, the reason why God puts heavenly sandpaper around us that people that rub, he says, what God's doing is he's rubbing off everything that doesn't look like Jesus. And then lastly, God wants you to know how complete you have it with Jesus. God wants you to know how complete you have it with Jesus. Look at chapter two and the end of verse two and first part of verse three. So, they, so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. When you have Jesus, you got it all. Now, what's the context of Colossians? Let me remind you of this. One of the reasons why Paul wrote this letter was because there was a cult that came around this church And what they basically said was what Paul and his missionaries have taught y'all. It's good. It's kindergarten. I'm glad you got that little gospel stuff down here. But we're bringing you the deep truths. And if you want to have the full understanding, you've got to come and be a part of our group. Because you don't want to just stay there. You want to have the deep stuff. You need more. And Paul basically says you got the treasure when you got Jesus. There's just nothing else out there. But we have it in our day and time. Someday you'll have a door knock and there'll be two handsome young men with ties on. And they will say to you, hey, by the way, we believe in Jesus just like you. We love the gospels. Oh, we love Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. They're wonderful gospels. But we're here to tell you there's another gospel. It's called the Book of Mormon. And you're not complete until you get this other gospel, the Book of Mormon. No, no, friends. When you got Jesus, you got everything. But there's so many subtle ways we do this. If you haven't been to this seminar, if you haven't taken this course, if you haven't done this Bible study, you're still in kindergarten. It's only you don't go up here until you get all this. Can I share with you how this showed up in my own life? My parents and I learned about how to be filled with the Holy Spirit through Bill Bright's clear teaching in Campus Crusade for Christ on how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It changed our lives. We'd been frustrated Baptists, and all of a sudden we saw the power of God unleashed in our lives. But what it did is I looked around the Baptists I sat in the pew with, and I thought, poor folk. They've never read Bill Bright, so I'm sure they're all carnal. And so I was on a tear to try to get everybody I could to show them the three circles that are in the Bill Bright book, you know, and how you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And and I just assumed that. But you know, as I've walked with Christ through the years and met a lot of godly people, I found a lot of people who walk in the power of the Holy Spirit who'd never heard of Bill Bright. And the reason is because they read the same Bible that Bill Bright read and found out the same truths. Because when you have Jesus, you got the whole treasure. William Randolph Hearst was one of the wealthiest people in the world. And he was a great art collector. He saw a picture, a painting that he wanted. He told all of his minglings, he said, I don't care where it is. Go find it, whatever it costs, buy it. I've got to own that painting. So they went all over Europe looking for it. They went all over America. Finally, somebody was in one of his warehouses and they found the painting. He had already bought it. (laughs) Folks, I want to tell you something. You've got it already. I've I've been undoing that gift ever since I got it on December 27th, 1969. I've been unlocking that treasure ever since I got it. What does God want for you? God wants you to be encouraged. God wants you to be knit together in love, have people in your heart. God wants you to know how complete the treasure is you have in Jesus. Let's pray together. Oh, my Lord, I come to you now because you've been so good to us. Even this morning, we feel it. I don't think a person could have gone through the worship this morning and come away anything but encouraged. Thank you for pouring out your spirit on this place. But I pray for brothers and sisters who are going through rough times now. They're my brothers and they're my sisters, so uphold them. Lord, I pray that we would... Go deeper in our love for one another, put people in our hearts. But Lord, I pray, Lord, that you just let us, let it sink in. We don't seek anything else. We got it with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.